Hi, friends. I appreciate all of you who are listening to Real Grief, Real Healing, the podcast. If you're finding benefit from listening to anything that I might have to say or my guests, what they are sharing, the importance of all of the aspects of how they have had grief and how they are healing, my experiences that I share, how I have had grief and and do have grief and also am healing. What I'm asking you to do is please share this on social media because right now that is how I will build more people to be listening. And and one of the reasons I want to build more people to be listening is I want to continue helping people like you. I get messages from several of you on a weekly basis. And if you like what you're hearing and you think someone else can benefit, please share on your social media channels. I would sure appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to Real Grief, Real Healing with Mindy Corcoran here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel, taking a deep dive into the reality of the difficulty grief brings and offering insight into the healing available to each of us. Today, episode 45, Reimagining Grief. And now your host, Mindy Corcoran. Hi, friends. Welcome to Real Grief, Real Healing with Mindy Corcoran. I appreciate you being here today and every day that you happen to tune in and listen to um, what I might have to say or who I might be interviewing. As I always say, you are going to um, really enjoy my guest. And I know that sometimes my topics, actually 100% of the time my topic, is maybe not something that anyone wants to enjoy, but it's always a topic that each of us are in. Um, those are feelings and, um, you know, life happens type grief events. And that's what we talk about on Real Grief, Real Healing. Today with me is um, a professional in grief and loss. And unfortunately, um, she became a professional in the same way, in a similar way that I did. Um, Lisa Kiefoffer is with me today. And she lost her husband, Eric, um, over 20 years ago. And uh, I'm going to allow Lisa to explain that um, in her own words. That'll be part of what you all get to hear. But what you want to know about Lisa, what I know that you will value, is that she has been a clinical social worker. She still is, but she's been practicing in the social work area for years. It's been her career. Lisa is a grief expert, um, and she is now teaching an undergraduate course called Loss and Grief at the University of Texas, which I said to her sounds exciting and frightening all at the same time. Um, Lisa is a founder, is the founder of Reimagining Grief. Just think about that, Reimagining Grief, and how amazing that sounds to those of us who know grief and hold space for grief. And Lisa and I met because she is the podcast host of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I was interviewed on her podcast earlier this year, and that's how we met. And I wanted my listeners to um, hear from Lisa. So that is my introduction to you. Thank you, Lisa, my new friend. And um, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's great to be back in conversation with you today. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, Lisa understands that we start Real Grief, Real Healing with talking about what is the grief event that even got you into the situation of grieving. And so, Lisa, my first question is, um, could you please tell us about Eric? Yeah. We want to hear about Eric 
And I love the smile that you already have on your face. Um, so please tell us about Eric and then unfortunately the, um, the event that puts you in a grieving space. Yeah. Yes. I always look forward to opportunities to sharing Eric with the world. Um, it was 10 years ago that I lost him, not 20. I've been doing social work for 20 years, but, um, I've been a widow now for 10, which is, <clears throat> Still can't quite wrap my head around that one. Um, Eric and I met in my late 20s. I was actually a researcher at the time, and he was a geographer. Um, and uh, we met, and sort of against all odds, which is maybe a story for a different podcast, uh, just immediately were smitten and fell in love with each other. He was so confident in a kind and humble way. He was curious as all get out about everything, which totally matched my personality to a T. Um, he was also like a great cook and very athletic, was one of those people who, frankly, annoyingly was good at everything he tried. As an example, I've been a scuba diver since I was 12. Of course, he had to become a scuba diver to join the family. That's them's the rules. And he became great at it. I've been a skier since I was five, been a mediocre skier my whole life. We moved to northern Vermont for a time within one season. He was like outperforming me on the slopes. Love, love, hate that part about him. He was amazing. And we had a really lovely like partnership and friendship. Definitely romantic, of course. He was a very romantic person. But as I said, his intelligence, his curiosity, his authenticity were just uh, a mirror for myself and for what I was looking for a partner and didn't ever think I could have, frankly. I didn't have a great history before meeting him. So we had a really lovely life. All in all, we were together 12 years, um, got married right before I went to graduate school, decided to change careers. He said, I said, hey, babe, I'm going to quit my job and go back to school. And he said, do it, you know, without even blinking an eye. So I got my master's. We ended up adopting our daughter um, from central China when she was about one. And he loved being a dad. Like, that was his jam. Like every video of her as a child is him behind the camera, just talking to her and just loving on her. So it was just a really lovely partnership. Um, we got married in 2002. And in 2010, things began to change. Um, this formerly kind, patient, gregarious, smart as a whip, you know, geographer, started having paranoia, gaining weight getting lost, going to our best friend's house, becoming angry and agitated, sharing information with our young daughter at the time that was way beyond her, what she should have learned, um, becoming threatening me with a shovel, um, drinking, just really transforming into a human that we didn't know. All the while we were going to doctors and saying something is wrong. And they were saying, just probably a mental health crisis, go on antidepressants. He got worse. We went back. We shared all these details. They said, never mind. It was probably the antidepressants that made it bad. Just go off them and go to the depression center and get some counseling. Presented all the same information to them again. Scary. By the that point came, this was probably five months in, Things were getting scary in our household. I was making safety plans. He was in counseling. I was in counseling. Our daughter was in counseling. We knew something wasn't right, but he was really transformed into a different human being. And almost a year later, when our lives had really become in shambles, 
he had an episode that finally got a doctor to agree to run an actual medical test for the first time in almost a year. Um, That was in July of 2011. I was called to the ER when the results came in. Eric called me. I walked in and saw a slide on the screen, and the neurosurgeon ER doctor looked at both of us and said, that is a grapefruit-sized brain tumor. It has shifted your brain stem. I don't know how you're talking or walking. That's not even, shouldn't even be possible. And two very long surgeries and a coma in between. Uh, 17 days later, the doctors said, he's never waking up. And um, I had to make the decision whether or not my daughter could come say goodbye. She was only seven at the time. So thankfully, in between the diagnosis and the first surgery, I had to I say thankfully because I hope everybody does this. Eric and I had the conversation about what would happen if he didn't wake up. And um, anyways, I brought my daughter in. She got to say goodbye to him, and I crawled into bed with him. Um, August 15th, 2011, and laid with him for eight hours until he died in my arms early the morning of August 16th. And um, so that was almost 12 years to the day that we sort of fell in love, um, 13 years since we known each other. And though I would do anything in the world to have that joyous, bubbly, curious, you know, authentic man back in my life, I'm, I am grateful every day that I got to have the time with him that I did. Yeah. Elisa, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry. I, I, um, I knew the part about him dying in your arms and I knew a little bit about the, the illness that wasn't diagnosed, but, but for you to offer that detail is so helpful to so many people who, um, will see or will hear this, but will see a change in a friend or a family member and, um, and that you all knew that something was going on yeah. and you kept checking it. Yeah. One thing just as a, it might be a tangent for another show I've talked about before, but I think the thing that is particularly concerning is, um, you know, I was a clinical social worker at the time. He was very educated. We were bringing in notes. We were very articulate. So I think like even for folks like us who were, you know, felt pretty adamant and could articulate what was going on. We were still being ignored, um, which really frightens me for all the folks out there who maybe don't have that same capacity to sort of push back against um, the expertise of the medical system. So that's definitely, I work all the time. I'm trying to do more and more work in medical settings and education systems to help shift how doctors listen to patients so that they're not missing things because they... They did. You know, I mean, he had a grapefruit-sized brain tumor, and the truth is he probably, you know, wouldn't have lived forever, but we certainly would have had a very different last year of our lives together. Mm -hmm. Well, your story can help change the narrative for other families to to know that there might be something else and to just check, to just say, you know what, I just want to check on this, please, and to be persistent. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Many people might not have even thought to be persistent about that yeah. and just blamed it on mental health or the antidepressants, et cetera. So your story yeah. is so important. I know you don't want to hold it, but you have it. It's your reality. I mean, that's this, that's this, that's part of my story. Yeah. I've yeah. come to accept yeah. that. It's been, you know, it's been 10 years. So. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry I got that wrong. No, that's I okay. Did read, I've been 20 I, years a social worker, 20 plus years a social worker, and yes. uh, 10-ish years a widow. Um, yes. And then lost a friend who was very close to me a couple years later, and so other grief events have come my way. But certainly the loss of my husband was the, has been the most significant, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then to be a um, single parent as well, that happened then immediately. You became a single parent. I was the clinical director of a big nonprofit at the time and a single parent to a seven-year-old who had just watched her father become unrecognizable in the year before. Um, Yeah. And had to go back to work and, you know, earn a living and take care of my clients and my patients. And um, it was, it was a, a challenging time for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's going to lead me into my um, next question that I, I had planned and I, and I, ha- I, t- I tend to have some questions planned and I never know if they are going to fit mm-hmm. or not, but this one does for sure. So you, you suffered Eric's death, you suffered your friend's death that you said, and yeah. you were very close to that, that friend and became a single parent. When, and, and you were in the social working field, when did you realize and or find yourself tackling grief the way that you do with the persistence that you are now for the benefit of yourself and your daughter and really others? Yeah. When did that turn? When did that page turn for you? Yeah. It's such an interesting question to reflect on now. You know, holding space and bearing witness as a as a way of showing up in the world has been a central theme of my life, frankly, and career. It was my graduate thesis. Um, which I think the reason I bring that up in relation to grief is I think the best thing that we can do for others in their grief is to hold space and bear witness. So in some ways, I think I've sort of been on this track for a long time. And because in social work, whether you're working with housing instability or crisis intervention or foster care and adoption or public housing, I've worked in all those domains, there's an underlying thread of grief in all of that. It's just not named. So I as you said, I lost my husband in 2011. In 2015, I was with my friend Joe and he died. In those intervening years, I helped launch a nonprofit that helped cancer patients. So I was doing a lot of public speaking, a lot of writing on the to- on topics sort of surrounding it. And in 2018, um, I had a health scare of my own. They found a tumor. They took it out. It turned out to be okay. But the, it was sort of a, you know, a, and I was working in a different nonprofit at the time, not particularly fulfilling Sorry if they're listening, but, um, and I just really had, I mean, kind of an Oprah aha moment, honestly, it was like, I can't have been through all of this personal grief and then worked through all this professional grief and found a voice as a speaker, as a writer, because I needed to for the various roles that I took on, leadership roles that I took on plus my training in narrative therapy and understanding language and culture and how we learn, sometimes mislearn things. All of those things just kind of light bulb aha. It's like, I have to do something with all of this experience. So in 2019, friends at home, don't do this, not a good entrepreneur plan, but it was literally a calling. It was, I mean, it literally was, I didn't have a choice. Everyone in my life thought I was a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, for sure. But In 2019, I quit my job, formed Reimagining Grief, launched a line of empathy cards, and launched my podcast, having never done any of those things. 
Um, so it was sort of the end of 2018, early 2019, when the decision was made and kind of summer 2019. So it hasn't been that long is when I did all of those things. And from the minute I did it, as scary as it is, especially single mom, I'm the only income, I can't do anything else. Like there is no choice. I mean, I've taken side hustles. I do extra work on the side to earn a living. You know, I have over this time. But my calling is to change the narratives of grief one conversation at a time. And in everything I do from teaching at the university to working with individuals, um, the podcast, which is my happy place, you know, holding space and bearing witness for folks, um, the empathy cards, the education I get to do for companies and health systems. It This is what I'm meant to be doing. I am living in my purpose for sure. Um, but on the entrepreneurs who are listening, don't maybe follow my lead of just YOLO quitting your job and doing that. But I really don't have any regrets. It's been an amazing ride so far. That is an incredible story. And yeah. I'm grateful I'm grateful to hear you say that you stepped into your purpose. Yeah. And I understand completely what it feels like to step into something that you've not done and you don't know, but you know, that's where you're supposed to be Yeah, because then it, it's just, you just know when you're in it, that that's where you're supposed to be. I am. I am definitely in my purpose and I could not explain to people, you know, they're like, you're going to host a podcast and create it and edit it. What do you know about that? I was like, I know about holding space and bearing witness and being genuine and curious and being an interviewer because I've been a therapist for most of my career. You know, I was like, I know the subject matter and I'm going to figure out the rest of it along the way. And I have a pretty successful podcast. So to all those naysayers out there, don't listen. Right, right. No, yeah. you do. You do have a very successful podcast. I, I read over over 100,000 downloads and um, and you enjoy yeah. it. I mean, it, 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 it sounds like it oh, fills your bucket. And actually, that's, that's one of my next questions is what is filling your soul bucket now? Yeah. I mean, all of it, that's too vague of an answer, really all of the work. I think, you know, when someone asked me to sort of dream, what do you, if you're still doing this work, you know, in a few years from now, what are you doing? And honestly, the podcasting is a big part of it. I think, not to toot my own horn, but I think as an interviewer, I'm deeply curious. I mean, this thing that I love so much about Eric, I'm deeply curious about expanding the conversations around grief and and being and helping model what it means to have conversations authentic difficult hard things conversations so the podcast is definitely a piece of that um that brings me joy like i every interview i finish and every time i release an, an episode i feel um joy every review i get every email i get every dm it just is a reminder, you know, where someone said, hearing that guest say that thing changed my experience with grief is like, I mean, that's kind of a high you really cannot recreate anywhere else. So I think it's hard because I love my one-on-one -on -one work with individuals. I love the chance to be influencing um, education. You know, so I've had some medical schools invite me to come teach and as, you know, the university. So educating people, but the podcast is um, a real moment of joy. Every time I get to be a part of it is, I have a little pinch me moment, honestly, every time. That's fantastic. Yeah. I know Dave, I know Dave, my producer is very happy about that. <laughs> He's listening. Yes, Dave's listening to this. And um, 
That's wonderful. So I, let's, I want to ask about your daughter. And of course, yeah. I don't want you to share and you won't any more than you want to share about your daughter. But I'm curious if your daughter has at all been resentful over the last several years that you've been engaged in focusing on grief regarding her father's death. Does yeah. she, how does she feel about the work that you're in? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. And it's funny because people ask me this all the time about like, just as parents, is it okay for me to grieve and for my kids? And how do we do that? You know, when I first told her I was doing it, I think she, like everybody else was like, uh-huh. Okay. That's, you know, what are you doing? Um, I think overall she's really supportive and she sees the emails and the reviews and the feedback. So I think she understands that what I'm doing is sort of beyond bigger than us is important for the world. Um, it can be challenging. You, If you follow me on Reimagining Grief on social media, even on my podcast, I really try not to talk about her too much because she's quite a private person, whereas I'm kind of an, the extroverted go-getter. She's pretty introverted, um, very wise and very kind and very creative and a beautiful soul. Um, but so I think she feels okay about it because I've respected her privacy. I also think we've had very different grieving styles. I think you and I might have talked about this um, on my program on Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, which is I I have big feelings, you know, big expressions, no surprise. I'm sure your listeners aren't surprised <laughs> to hear. And she's quite reserved. You know, her grief style is really different. And so, you know, while I don't think she would choose this for herself, you know, this kind of public forum, I think she understands, especially now that she's, you know, she just turned 18, she's off to college, she's having some more maturity about it now. I think she appreciates that um, this is helpful to me and helpful to the world. So it's been a, it's been a balance. I think keeping her privacy has sort of been the key deal maker in that whole mm -hmm. equation. That's wonderful. And it's, it's clearly good that you knew that about her to, um, and to hold, to hold that privacy at yeah. every juncture that I talked about Lucas or that I still talk about Lucas because yeah. he, he'll, he'll say, mom, everybody knows everything about me. I'm like, no, no. sweetie, they don't, <laughs> they don't know everything about you. They do know a lot, but I did, um, yeah. I had him read his chapter, yeah. you know, I had him record his own podcast. I had him, you know, I, before I would post anything, I'd say, is this okay? Is that okay? And there were times when he said, it's too much. Don't post or, this. Yeah. yeah. Don't post this. Or, and so I, and so I stopped doing that. And, um, and I heard that from my husband, Lynn and from Lucas, um, yeah. that I, they felt like I was posting too much about our whereabouts and et cetera, what we were doing. So I did, I stopped that and, and, and turned mm -hmm. my communication to other people into my podcast yeah. is I've interviewed then other people and I get to talk about their grief. And I also want to just just say again for our listeners, you clarified just one more time that people in the same household, people that grow yeah. up together, people that have the exact same grief event, grieve differently. So differently. And that's okay. And that's normal. The challenge is actually when we don't name and recognize and acknowledge our own grief styles and don't do that for the others because then there that's where the friction or the resentment can build or the guilt like I'm not grieving enough how come they're grieving so much or how come they're not grieving enough because we don't understand some people are instrumental grievers you know some people are sort of more on the emotional end some people are creative there's no one right way to grieve but to know which 
styles of grief everyone in your household has is, I think, a really important tool just to help navigate whatever hard grief experience you're going through. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Two other topics that I want to touch on before yeah. we close. Um, the University of Texas. Lisa, Hook on horns. that is awesome. <laughs> okay, so I'm a boomer sooner. Uh-oh. Not so happy Trouble. about the Hook'em Horns. <laughs> Sorry about That's that. okay. <laughs> Not a problem. We did beat you in football this I'm year, which is which is. I wish key. I could say that now, I follow the university other than this, but I don't really. I just love going in and teaching. <laughs> of course you do. And that's what I want to talk about. I'm so proud of you Thank and you. happy for you. Yeah. I mean, what that what an awesome accomplishment. So tell us, tell us what that's like, please. University of Texas, you're teaching an undergraduate course called Loss and Grief. Yeah. Individuals, families, and communities, I think is the full, very long title. Okay. Yeah. Loss and grief with all those things. Yeah. So it's okay. in the School of Social Work, the Steve Hicks School of Social Work, and which is one of the top social work programs in the country. And I've been living in Austin since 2014. Um, and of course, because I'm a social worker by training, I've always been really passionate. I used to have clinical interns when I worked in more clinical spaces. And through a whatever of events, it happened to be that I ended up getting my CV just in front of the right person at the right time and an invitation got extended. And like everything else I've done, although I've had clinical in students and I've done training and education, I've never had my own classroom before. But did I let that stop me? No, I did not. I said yes when they offered me the position and then I built a syllabus from scratch and um set out to teach in the midst of the pandemic. So in the first four weeks was half a classroom via Zoom, half a classroom in person, all with masks. So very interesting. Um, and it's been pretty much that way since. And it's been incredible. Of course, it's been a bit of a steep learning curve for me, but being steeped in all the literature and the readings and the podcasts and being able to cultivate my form of um, grief education, which is a very expansive way beyond death loss, and to see these mostly juniors and seniors being willing to get vulnerable, to dig in, to tackle topics. I don't know about you, but I never certainly ever got to explore even in my sociology classes in undergrad. Um, and it's just been incredible. I even had them do an amazing project where they did a little brief five-minute podcast interview with each other about their earliest experiences of grief and had to write a reflection on the experience. And it's just been tremendous. I'm wrapping up that semester in the coming weeks. And then I just got invited to teach again in the spring or winter, however we call our semesters here. Um, right. And it's just been a it's been a thrill. I mean, it's so in line again with my purpose and my mission of changing the narratives of grief. And now I'm getting to do it for kind of a next generation, which is pretty cool. It's really cool. I think it's, I, I, congratulations again. I think it's a very telling that, um, and I don't know what other universities are doing. So I know this through you. I think it's wonderfully telling that our culture is allowing more conversation yeah. about the real, the real experiences of loss. And as you said, loss um, not just from death, but yeah. loss of a job, loss of a pet. Chronic illness of... and diagnosis, immigration. Yeah. I mean, there's so much mm -hmm. more. And we cover all of those topics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been yeah, great. That's, 
That is wonderful. And then one final thing, I just want to highlight the fact I was reading some of your posts. Um, you're a writer for Thrive. For Thrive, Thrive Global. Mm-hmm. Thrive Global. And I saw some pieces where you talked about your love of writing. I think you, actually you talked about that in the most yeah. recent newsletter that you posted. Yeah. And I love that. I talk a lot. And when people ask, how did I get through what I did? I said, you know, I just started journaling. I started writing out all the feelings that I thought that I was thinking Mm -hmm. to process them. I I just needed to process. And I use that word a lot to sit in the grief and think about it and write about it. And I love that we share the love of writing. And that takes me to Lisa, you are authoring a book. I am because you know what? All the list of things I haven't done before I've been doing the last two years, I decided how about I write a book too, just to, you know, I'm just YOLOing my way through life, you guys. Um, Yeah. So I'm writing a book right now. In fact, January is my goal to finish it and then get it in the hands of a publisher. It's called Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, a la my podcast. And really, I'm writing the book that I always, I wish I had. I mean, you're healing the shattered soul is. My Okay, it's under a stack of other books, but it's dog-eared and sticky marks. So I love that. This book has really come out of these last few years of writing daily little sort of truths and nuggets and demystification of, of all the things that we mislearn around grief. And I'm putting it together in kind of little bite-sized nuggets and metaphors and poems and just something really digestible. I don't know about you. My first year... Um, after my husband died, I couldn't read a book. And I'm a voracious reader. And so I really wanted a book that somebody could just fall open to any page and just get what they needed to hear. Like, it's okay if the second year is harder than the first year, or right, or it's okay to find joy, or whatever the kind of myths are. So I, I'm. it's kind of a compilation, really, of things I've written over the few years, but I'm right now kind of curating it all and putting it together in something that I think will be great for, I say it's not really for any time period of a griever. It's more about being written to somebody who needs to feel held and seen in their grief. And that's really the goal of what what this book is going to be. So, And the process of cultivating and reviewing has been so as you know, cathartic and therapeutic for me, even 10 years out, I'm re-experiencing and relearning things even as I write and cultivate. Yeah. Right. Well, we are lucky to know you oh. and we are lucky to have you. I am, I'm of course, very sorry that you had the loss that you had, yeah. but look what you have done with it. Look what you have done to walk through the healing process. And I say healing yeah. because Active. we're always we're always healing. We're always in that active process. So thank you so much for being, um, on a podcast, on my podcast, yeah. Real Grief, Real Healing. And you've just done so much. I'm, I, we'll put everything in the show notes Perfect. that, um, that lead people to you. Um, you're as a social worker, specifically to reimagining grief yeah. and also specifically to your podcast, um, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. So I want to make sure that, Um, we'll tag it and and put all that in the show notes. So thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. And my best to you and your daughter. Um, you you know, I just hope that, um, the holiday season is what, um, what you can make of it together and, and just the best that it can be. Yeah. Thank you. Same to you and your family. Thanks uh, so much for having me on your show. It's, It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure this will not be our last conversation. It will not. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Real Grief, Real Healing here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com slash support. Real Grief, Real Healing is copyright 2021, Mindy Corcoran, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.